0: Okay, we're in Lesson 4. We're going to look at verses 18 of chapter 1 through verse 5 of chapter 2. Now, it's going to seem to you like as we get into this, because last week we talked about the issue of divisions, problems in a church, them fighting, and especially about them basically centering around a few leaders. Now, you might say, well, you know, today's discussion, the folly of God, What in the world does that have to do? Why is Paul all of a sudden chasing off down this rabbit trail? And we're going to see that he's going to go down a different line of discussion here today. Why is he going down this line of discussion concerning the folly of God? What does that have to do with them fussing and feuding? Well, I'm going to help you to understand a little bit, give you a little bit of background. We talked about this last week. When you have folks who are fussing and feuding with each other, Almost always, I would say 99.9% of the time, there are individuals who are at the heart of the issue, and there are individuals who are disagreeing with each other, and there are individuals who feel that their position is what? Right. And so, they feel it's right so much so that they want to, what, cause a problem in a church. It doesn't matter, because they're standing up for what's right. Now, what we're going to look at today is Paul's going to strike at the heart of those individuals because he's going to look at an issue that is driving them. Because the issue that's driving them is not the question of being right. Because remember last week he talked about that he wanted them to be of one mind. One mind concerning who? Jesus Christ. And he's the central issue in the church. Now, everything else is secondary. The central issue is Christ. So he's going to strike at the heart of the issue. And at the heart of the issue is one word. It's the chief of sins, pride. Pride. Because when you look at these issues and when you see his argument here, you're going to understand why he's going to be arguing the way he is. When you have people, even if they're right, what happens is is their pride gets involved. And that's why they can't work out compromises or come to reconciliation because somebody believes so strongly in what they believe, it's no longer the issue of the issue, it's now the issue of the individual and saving face. For instance, have you ever been in meetings where people have flown off the handle in a meeting and then it's like there's no way to reconcile that because they've embarrassed themselves now. And there's no way for them to come back later and say, well, you know, I might have been a little bit overstepping my bounds there. Yeah, I can see their side of it, and maybe we can come to work this out somehow. You ever been in those kind of situations? What happens is, what's the obstacle for dealing with the issue? Pride. Pride is the chief of sins. Every one of us struggles with pride in some way or another. You have to admit that. If you cannot admit that, You've got a problem, and your problem, first of all, is with the Bible. Because the Scripture very clearly teaches that pride is at the heart of all sin. It is you deciding you know better when you sin than what God wants. And at the heart of it is pride. And so now, Paul's going to address this issue of pride by talking about the folly of God. Now, that almost seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? Like, we we know of God as perfect, we know of God as holy... God doesn't make mistakes. And then for you to talk about the folly of God, that almost doesn't sound right, does it? So let's notice, first of all, Paul's going to now move his discussion concerning their divisions to the issue of the folly of God. So let's look, first of all, at verses 18 through 25. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So he's going to talk about the crucified Messiah. He's going to really talk about the issue of the gospel here. First thing I want you to see is, is that the gospel is utter foolishness to those who are perishing. You ever talk to somebody who's not a believer, who not, has not put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, and they just don't seem to get it? They think you, 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 know, they, they think you might as well believe in fairy tales, they're like, where, where are you coming from? They just don't see it. They can't get it. And here's the reason why. The gospel is utter foolishness to the perishing. Because, listen, think about it for a moment. Think of, just step back for a moment from your Christian roots for a minute. If you want to think of an idea to bring about the salvation of the world for everybody to deal with their sins in the world. How many of you would think of putting a man on the cross to die for your sins as the ultimate sacrifice? How many of you would think of that kind of thing? No, you wouldn't. You might think of a bunch of exercises that you need to go through, and that's what man does, does, doesn't it? When you look at all the religious systems of the world, they have all these religious exercises for you to do to what? Attain salvation. But they don't work, do they? So when you think about the message of God coming as a baby being raised in obscurity, having a ministry, being rejected, crucified, and then being raised from the dead. People look at that and say, you mean you believe that? And I think that it's what? Foolishness. Foolishness. Look at the next thing there. The gospel is power to save those who believe. Now that foolish message to the unbeliever is the power... To bring salvation to those who believe. See, don't beat yourself up when people don't, don't listen to you. How I many of you have that tendency that, you know, you sometimes when you share, when they don't, just be honest, I feel that way, I'll raise my hand with you, that you think, man, I just didn't do a good job. And you're beating yourself up. Listen, you've got to understand something. It has nothing to do with you. In a sense. You've got to have a life to proclaim it. But it's nothing to do, when they reject the message, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what? Them. And the condition of their heart. You understand what I'm saying? The condition of their heart. So, to those who are being saved, it's power. Now, here's God's view of human wisdom. Because here's what's at the heart of pride is that you know what? Better. Better. At the heart of pride is that you know better. But this, Paul quotes Isaiah to show that God sees human wisdom as nothing. So let's stop for a moment. First of all, the test of wisdom is not how much education you have. The test of wisdom is how much insight you have from the experiences and everything of life. You understand? You can have a wise person who's never gone to school. You can have a school person who's totally a fool. Everybody understand me? So I want you to listen to me. So when we talk about wisdom, we're not talking about education. Because there's a lot of educated fools. A lot of them. A lot of eggheads can't figure life out. Now, having said that, here's what Paul says. Even if you have an understanding, you've lived life, you 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 you've seen everything. You've done everything. Here's what Paul says. According to Isaiah, even if you are the most wisest person in this world, according to Isaiah, God sees your wisdom as what? Foolishness. None of us here have arrived. Now, do you see how that strikes at the heart of what's going on there in Corinth, and they're fighting? It's like, okay, guys, you're saying, I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Apollos, and you've got the real spiritual one saying, I'm of Jesus. And there they are, and they're, they're fussing and feuding among themselves. There's conflict going on, because they're, cent- they're centering on one aspect of each person's ministry. And here's what Paul says, you guys think you're wise? Here's how God views wisdom. The wisdom of men is nothing, it's foolishness. It's foolishness. And so here's what it says. God has disregarded human wisdom and shown it to be foolish. God has disregarded human wisdom and shown it to be foolish. You know, as I get older, and the more I study, and the more I I interact with people, the more I realize that nobody has a grasp on truth. No system works. What do you mean, George? So, for instance, we live in a capitalistic country. We are seeing, right now in the news, the dark side of capitalism. Because greed comes in. Human sin always corrupts every human system. Does everybody understand me? So, even with this, notice this. You've got Republicans, you've got Democrats, you've got Libertarians, you've got Communists, Socialists. None of them. A smart enough. No system is perfect. Why? What is the one factor that corrupts every one of them? Anybody? Not just greed. Bruce said it. Humanity. Sinful man. Because look, when you look at the tenets of Marxism, it sounds really good. Everybody working for everybody, everybody. But when you look at a communist country, there's still fat cats there too. Here's my point. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Human wisdom, God shows human wisdom, all of the systems that we come up with to deal with life. All of what we think needs to happen. God shows all of our wisdom to be what? Foolish. He just disregards it. He says, look, when I think about his ways, Isaiah says, is higher than our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. And so, this strikes at the heart of pride. This strikes at the heart of pride. You know, our focus shouldn't be on man-made systems. Our focus needs to be on who? The God who is wiser than all of what we've got going on here. Wiser than what we've got all going on here. So, then notice the limits of human wisdom. Here's the limitation. So, he's going to explain himself a little bit. When you look at verses uh, 21 through 22, he's going to explain a little bit here about why God disregards human wisdom. Why God views all human wisdom, smartest people there are, why does he view them all as foolish? Here's the reason why. Human wisdom cannot understand God and bring salvation. You see this on your TVs all the time. Have you ever noticed that you're only an expert if you don't believe in God? Have you noticed that? If you believe in God, then that somehow disqualifies you from being an expert in anything in this country anymore. Do you know that? Why? Because the way the world thinks, and we're talking about, when we talk about the world, we're talking about an anti-God world. When I say anti-God, I mean a, a world that is not in tune to God, that, that has, not, has rejected Jesus in their life. And that's most of America. Most of America. So when you look at that, most of America is looking to who? Human wisdom. So, for instance, like with the election coming up, I don't really care who you're voting for. I don't care what your party is. The problem with the election coming up is this. Americans are looking to one man out of two to lead them out of our problems. They're not going to be able to do it. Only one person can do it. That's Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? But the problem is we're trying to find the best man to do it, who's the wisest. Ever notice we always talk about how smart people are in elections? You ever notice that? Why? Human wisdom. But human wisdom can't understand God, can't understand salvation. So it's limited. Human wisdom can't understand that. And you say, well, what does that have to do with my everyday life here? Look, if you don't grasp the importance of God and salvation in your everyday life, then you might as well hang it up. Because life is more than just your pocketbook. Life is more than just your security. Because I'll be honest with you, your security, if it doesn't have God in it, there is no security. That's just that's just the point. So human wisdom is limited. God used what was foolish to bring salvation. The cross, my goodness, it's foolishness. That's his whole point here. The cross is foolishness. The thought that somebody would go to the cross. Look with me at verse 21 and 22, and I'll read these to you. And this is very important, and I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Percent in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Now here's what I want you to see. When it comes to the issue of Jesus and the cross, Jews want practical evidence. They want a sign. And you say, well, goodness gracious, they had all kinds of signs. They had all kinds of practical evidence. Uh Uh-uh, that doesn't work that way. If your heart's darkened, there's never enough. You understand? You ever talk to somebody, it doesn't matter how many facts you present, they're just convinced otherwise? I mean, they could have just sat there and watched it happen, but they saw something completely different. They want, that's because their hearts are darkening. They want practical evidence. Now, the Gentiles, and we're Gentiles, insists on wisdom and knowledge. So we go on now. The crucified Messiah is a stumbling block to the Jews. And this was illustrated, remember a few years ago, the Passion of Christ came out? How many of you watched your news programs and saw... I, there were like two groups of people who were irate on your news program. Who were they? Jews. And you're probably wondering, what's the big deal? There's been other Jesus movies with the crucifixion scene. What's up? How many of you thought that? Like, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. It's still a stumbling block. Because all of those movies portray Jesus as the Messiah to who? Jews. Remember what the Old Testament, cursed is he who hangs on a tree? That goes against the grain of their whole concept of a Messiah. So when you're on when you're watching TV and you're watching them getting all upset about it, it just shows the scripture to be true, doesn't it? Why? Because it the cross. Here's what Paul says. Look at what he says. Look with me. Verse 23. To the Jews, a stumbling block. It just gets right to the heart of the matter with them. They got a hard time with it. So I'm not surprised by them acting that way. But there's a second group of people. The second group of people were non-Jews. They were the more educated, the more wise people. And to them, it was utter foolishness. It is utter foolishness to the Gentiles. Ah, oh, come on. Give me a break. You can't believe that. You believe in some guy dying for you? Give me a break. It's all about you, baby. You need to do it for yourself. And that's the mentality that's there. They look at it as utter foolishness, and Paul just strikes right to the heart of it. Now, you're saying, okay, boy, I thought we were talking about fussing and feuding and pride here, George. What does any of this have to do with what we're talking about? First of all, before we get there, notice this. The cross is God's wisdom and His power for salvation. You've got to remind yourself of that. The cross is God's wisdom and His power for salvation. That's the issue. It's it's His wisdom and his, His power for salvation. Now, here's the greatness of God's wisdom. And we're going to get to why He's talking about this in a moment. But We're going to talk about the Corinthian believers. Here's the greatness of God's wisdom. The foolishness and weakness of God is greater than man's wisdom. Like, look, for instance, here's Paul. He's, he's making an argument here that needs to be grasped. How many of you think that God could be foolish? Nobody. How, do you think, how many of you think God could be weak? There's Paul. He's, he's basically raising a rhetorical question saying, you know, if God could be foolish, if God could be weak, even his weakness and his foolishness would be greater than all of your wisdom. Even his weakness and his foolishness would be greater than all of your thought. So for instance, when you go throughout the Scripture, you'll see things like this. You'll see it in the Psalms, you'll see it in the Prophets, and you'll see things like this. For instance, Job. He talks to Job and he says, Did I consult you And I created the world? Were you there when I measured out this? How many of you had anything to do with that? Nobody. God's wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. God's wisdom is far greater than our wisdom. So here's what we come to. Here's the issue. Now we're going to get to the issue of the Corinthian believers. Look with me, verses 26 through 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put shame to the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put shame to the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him who are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So now we're going to get to the issue. Okay, All, right. All of this theology about the wisdom and foolishness of God was there to tell you that God is smarter than who? Any of us. So now he comes to the issue of the Corinthian believers. So here we're going to strike right at the heart of the issue of pride here. He's going to get right to the issue of pride here. And here's what he's going to say to them. first thing he's going to say to them is this. He's going to say, Paul calls them to take notice of the kind of people they are. Paul calls them to take notice of the kind of people they are. Here's what he wants to do. He says, guys, hmm. You guys are centering on others, and you've got your big leaders, and everybody's prideful there, and I'm of Jesus, I'm of Paul, and all this stuff. He says, I want you to just look around, take a step back from your issues. Take a step back from your pride for a moment, and take a look around and say, hmm, what do we got here? What kind of people are we? How does society view us? Okay, let's talk for a moment. let's, Let's ask ourselves that question here. Everybody, take a step back from your pride. Take a look around here. What kind of folks we got here? Societies. Okay, Bruce says idiots. Anybody else? That's pretty blunt. Some of you are like, oh my. What? Naive? What else? I mean, as far as the standards of the world, how many of you are rubbing shoulders with big kahunas every day? Uneducated? Foolish? You're just what? Common people. Weak-minded? Yeah, yeah. we got a crutch? We got a weak-minded? Here, here's, he's wanting us to wake yourselves up. Look, he says, look around. Be realistic about what you've got here. About who you are. Be realistic. Because here's what can happen. Because we huddle in our huddles so much, we can think we're it. See, that's what the point is. He's wanting to bring humility to the midst of their pride. Now, here's the next thing. God purposely saved the insignificant, the shame, the wise, and the strong of this world. See, here's God's wisdom. God says, you know what? People think they're so wise. They think they're so smart. I'm going to save people that people would not have any, any, wouldn't even have anything to do with. I'm gonna save those kind of people. The down and outers of the world. Because when I say the down and outers, it really reflects on what? Yeah, his power, it also reflects on how foolish the world is. Because the world would, does it have anything to do with down and outers? No. See, here's the thing God chooses people. And the world would have nothing to do with them. And here's the problem with the church. The church wants to have people like the world. What I mean by that is the elite of the world. And God chooses those kind of people for what? To prove how foolish the world is. You know? prove how foolish the world is. So, he purposely... And notice the word is there. He purposely... Sometimes we're blown away by it, aren't we? We need to be. Here's the thing. God's purpose, here's the purpose. God's purpose is that no one can boast in His presence. Nobody. You know what? You are not, if you are, if you, every one of us wrestles with pride, and so you think about those leaders in the Christian church. I'm right. When they stand before the Holy God, do you think they're going to be saying I'm right? Lord, I showed them a thing or two. That ain't going to happen. Nobody can boast. It's going to be about your achievements when you meet the perfect, the holy one, and you stand before His eyes, and He sees right through you. Whew. That's almost like having one of those dreams where you dream you're in church and everybody and you're you're unclothed ever have one of those kind of dreams? Where you just feel totally naked. Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know? Thankfully, it's just a dream, isn't it? But you know, when you stand before the Holy God, He sees right through you. See, So, God's purpose is so that no one can boast in His presence. Here's the other thing. Christ alone personified the wisdom from God which they had experienced. The only wisdom they had was Jesus. The only wisdom you and I have is Jesus. That's Paul's point to them. Guys, quit being so prideful. Quit thinking you know it. The only wisdom you have is Jesus and Jesus alone. So here's the point. Here's where true boasting comes from. True boasting is centered on the work and person of Jesus Christ. True boasting isn't based on your abilities True boasting isn't based on your accomplishments. True boasting isn't based on your knowledge. True boasting is not based on what position you hold. True boasting is purely centered upon one person only and his work. That's Jesus, period. That's what true boasting is. You and I have nothing to boast about except Jesus Christ. Because we're not smart enough. We're not rich enough. We're not. We're not at all. So then Paul finishes up. We're going to look here at first five verses of uh, chapter 2. Look with me at his example. So he's going to ex- explain to them the whole example of what he's talking about, and he's going to share with them about how he came to them, how he started the church. Look with me at verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. First of all, notice his manner in which he came to them. Paul did not proclaim the gospel with clever speech and wisdom. So let me just stop for a moment. Some of you refuse to share because you say, well, man, I don't know have any good... The degrees George got, I ain't got the Bible knowledge he has. Or, I, you know, I once was with this guy, and this guy, man, he could just answer those questions. You know, where did Adam and Eve, did they have a be- belly button? You know, that kind of stuff. Well, nobody's asking those questions, except a few eggheads. But here's my point. You're, you're sitting there saying, I can't do it. Why not? Because the gospel, the power of the gospel is not in persuasive words. The power of the gospel is in the power of the Holy Spirit. You just share. You just share. And so that's what Paul's saying. He didn't proclaim the gospel with clever speech and wisdom. Listen, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. The Apostle Paul probably would not be selected to be a pastor of any of our churches in North America. What? He wrote half of the New Testament. What do you mean? Here's what I'm saying. His own testimony is he was a poor speaker. And how do we select pastors today? By their what? By their preaching. He wouldn't be accepted. You wouldn't see him in any conference. You understand? He wouldn't have the eloquence And that's what he's saying to you. He did not come to proclaim the gospel with clever speech and wisdom. Here's what else he said. He purposely chose to focus on the cross of Christ. He wasn't interested in this. He wasn't interested in that. He wasn't interested in this and that or another. He was interested purely in Jesus Christ and the cross, period. He didn't talk about Tiberius. He didn't talk about uh, Tiberius Augustus Caesar, just so you understand who I'm talking about. Tiberius was a Caesar. He didn't talk about Claudius. He didn't talk about what was happening in Rome. He didn't talk about who was sitting in the high priesthood down in Jerusalem. He didn't talk about any of that stuff. He talked about what? Christ. Jesus. 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 Here's the point. Let's go on. Paul's general disposition was one of fear and weakness. This is how he came to them. He didn't come to them as some smart guy, very confident, charismatic guy, really ready to take on anybody. He came to them and he said, man, I came to you and I was trembling. I was fearful. That's the kind of guy Paul was. That's the kind of guy Paul was. The other thing I want you to see there is he purposely chose not to speak with human wisdom. He purposely chose not to speak with human wisdom. And here's the reason why. He purposely chose not to speak with elegance or or all this stuff. Why? Here's the reason. He wanted their faith to be rooted in the power of the cross, not human wisdom. Listen, my friends. Your faith cannot be rooted in intellectualism. Your faith cannot be rooted in human wisdom. Your faith, if you're going to make it through the stuff that life will throw at you, and life is going to throw stuff at you if you're going to make it and persevere until the end, it has to be rooted in one thing only, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. The power of the cross of Jesus Christ. And you and I have got to grasp that point. And here's what he's saying to those guys. Guys, you're so focused on yourself. You think you're it. You think you're so smart. And you're fussing and feuding with each other. You don't know nothing. Because there's somebody who's far smarter than you. And he's God. And the fact that you are saved His testimony to his wisdom. This ought to encourage every one of you. Let me disclose you with this thought. If you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have trusted Jesus Christ, you need to be thankful for what you just read. Because the fact of the matter is if it was up to human wisdom, you wouldn't be saved. Because we already talked about who we are as far as the world considers. They wouldn't take you. You don't match up. You don't pass the tests. You're not smart enough. You don't look good enough. You're not strong enough. You ain't got enough money. Therefore, you'd be left out. So, wake up. You're saved only because of who? Jesus. Man, we've got to remind ourselves of that. Okay, let's close our time of prayer.